Hello. Hello, listeners. It is Friday, the 7th of August, 2020, and this is episode 20 of The Way It Is, the official Bobby Galinsky podcast. We have made it to 20. No stopping us now. A juggernaut. Itch. Juggernaut. And thank you for those of you that um, commented on my incredible rendition of No Tears by Scarface opening the show last week. We're trying to mix it up. We're going to be ending the show a bit different this week, too. I'm, uh, I'm rethinking my sign-off. I'm rethinking my sign-off about um, niceties because there needs to be a little bit of an adjunct in a... Uh, Asterix along with it. I hope you've had a great week. I hope you're alive and well. I assume, and you know what they say about assume, but if you're listening to me, you are alive. And if you're not well, well, you will be after an hour with me. Give or take, it is cold and rainy. We've had the four coldest days of the last 24 years here in Melbourne which um, I'm sure is a scientific reason why Premier Daniel Andrews has locked us down further. Stage four, you've probably seen the news around the world. So we are locked down tighter than you know what, which means that uh, we ain't going anywhere. We can actually go five kilometers from our house, which um, since we live by the bay, uh, we can go two and a half kilometers out to sea, except we're not allowed to go fishing. Not that we're fishermen, but uh, five kilometers, curfew, 8 p.m. Uh, schools closed, everything closed. Takeaway shops or what you would call uh, takeout in the uh, U.S. and takeaway in some places are open. So um, we shall see. Uh, the science doesn't really bear up on lockdowns. To me, but uh, we've got to give it one big shot. But I am in for the greater good for harmony and hope that this six weeks of confinement will be a way to get the handle on the virus, which the China virus, which has just escalated out of control. Now, the one thing that does worry me about this is over in South Australia, a state known for good wine and some fine artists and not much else. They just suddenly had two cases and they locked the whole state around again. So I think the mentality that has gone from the last six months of just keep it from overrunning the hospitals is now to eradicate it. You can't eradicate it. There's still polio. There's still leprosy. There's still every disease in the world. So we're never going to eradicate it, ever. We can get a vaccine, we can get control on it. But what I do fear, I don't, I don't fear this lockdown so much, it's annoying. The, um, the uh, bright side of all this, and you know me, there's always a huge win on the other side of, um, you know, complete catastrophe is that we have to wear a mask. And I uh, wasn't into the masks, and um, I am now because we just ordered a ton of killer masks. 
online. So I am into the designer mask thing. You'll see some pictures on the show notes in a few weeks when they come. And uh, I uh, I may actually embrace the uh, Wu flu and uh, become a maskophile. Pay. And China's going to pay. And it's interesting. This week, it is the 7th of August. And two of the most significant, decisive days in history. Hands down. Bookend this week. And some of you might know what that was. That was August 6th, which was yesterday. And August 9th, coming up in a couple of days, because those are the days in 1945 that we dropped nuclear bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That was America at its best. Okay, there's a problem. Let's finish it now. Now, had they been a bit more, you know, madmen Don Draper marketing, they would have dropped leaflets over Hiroshima and Nagasaki a week before and go, next week, be outside huge announcement. Be outside. Everybody look up and then sell SPF 10,000 suntan lotion and skin block sunglasses and stuff like that. Could have made a lot of money off that whole thing. But I love the Japanese now. They learned their lesson. I love sushi. I've got lots of Japanese friends. Japanese cars are great cars. No problem there. Just had to be sorted. Just like we sorted the Germans, and they're now our friends, and the Vietnamese, and they're now our friends, and everyone else that used to be an enemy that's now an ally. Speaking of war, if China had launched bombs that killed a million people around the world, we'd go back right after them. Well, essentially, they did launch a bomb that's killed about a million people around the world and drop a couple of big ones on Beijing and take the money and move on. There we go. How good was that? What actually does scare me and see, we're getting the heavy stuff out in the show first. Sometimes I kind of lull you into a nice sense of this is going to be a really calm show and then hit you with it at the end. This time we're just kind of get it out. It's not a rant. It's just a bit of fact, a bit of science, a bit of accuracy, a bit of history. And then going to smooth into the show because we've got an entertainment heavy show. Lots of things happening in entertainment. And entertainment makes us happy. But what, speaking of entertainment... What I'm shit scared of is there have been hints, hints and little social media tweets going out that, uh, that the powers that be down on Spring Street in the premier's office and health department just may try and take us to stage five if this doesn't get better. And what stage five? I have it uh, right here. I have the only documents ever released from Spring Street. Stage five is unbelievable. I'm just reading this verbatim. What will happen in stage five is you will have to go to your basement. If you don't have a basement, you'll have to shut off all your lights. You will only be allowed to watch Australian television for 24 hours a day. In fact, you'll be forced to watch Australian television 24 hours a day, except for one channel, which will show the following 10 Australian films in order continuously. Crocodile Dundee 2, Harlequin, Takeaway, You and Your Stupid Mate, Palm Beach, The Man from Snowy River, Young Einstein, at number eight, The Adventures of Barry McKenzie, at number nine, one of the 50 worst films ever made, he died with a falafel in his hand, 
from one of the 50 worst books ever written. And number 10, rounding it out, Baz Luhrmann's Australia. So you must be in the basement or with the lights out. You and your spouse have to be, or partner, friend, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, grandfather, whatever, have to be in separate rooms. No one's allowed to be within sight of each other. There'll be no cooking hot food. 24-hour seven of Australian television, other than the option of the 10 worst Australian films of all time. And, and, and an uncertain ending. Could be six weeks, could be six months, and you're not allowed to use your iPhone or any electronic tools to ascertain when it ends. There'll just be a knock on your door when uh, the Australian Defense Force knocks on your door, rings your bell, and says, it's over. You can come out. So we, uh, that's, uh, that's stage five, folks. So that's a bit of an incentive to do the right thing. To do the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. My wife's implored me to do the right thing, and that's... Uh, that's good. That's good. I've been uh, very c- complying. Now, I was going to open by singing you Peschelbel's Canon in D major, but I couldn't get it. I couldn't get the, uh, the acapella of that because I just heard that scientifically, and we do love science. Peschelbel's Canon in D major is the most soothing music of all time. So I'm going to start, uh, you might want to look that up, and um, I'll have it in the show notes, by the way, so you can play it constantly. I'm going to play it here quite a bit and see if it, uh, if it relaxes, but we're pretty relaxed here. We're pretty relaxed. We're cooking, we're eating, we're drinking, we're working out, we're doing all the normal things that we do, watching a lot of TV, and um, playing a lot of piano, playing a lot of music. Now, what's going to happen today? We're going to go through the regular things. We'll hit a little bit on U.S. politics. We'll hit a bit on U.K. politics. And we will have a lot of entertainment news. And, of course, today in history and things like that. But one thing I'd like you to do right now, please, 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 if you're a subscriber, take a bow. I thank you so much. This show wouldn't grow unless people subscribed. I really, really appreciate that. If you're not a subscriber... What is wrong with you? I want you to pause this right now. You, you pause this right now and you go and you subscribe on whatever platform you're listening. You can subscribe by email. I don't keep email lists. I'm not Google or, or Facebook. You can go on iHeart. You can go on Spotify. You can go on Google Play. You can go on, most popularly, Apple Podcasts, whatever. It's free. That's for all the Jews out there. It's free. And you get everything emailed to you. The second it drops, it comes, oh, my God, it's on my phone. It's on my iPad, my, um, you know, Android, if you're one of those people. Um, you know, you get it straight away. And you can get the show notes right with it. And the show notes are at Blueberry, which is spelled B-L-U-B-R-R-Y dot net the way it is. The way it is blueberry.net and that's where all the pictures are and the links and things that you know if you heard something during the show and go oh how can i get a hold of that guy or how can i download that film legally or um what did he say about uh tony collette what's she going to be in um you know is she going to win an emmy could be could be we'll talk about that 
um, the show notes. So I really don't like getting emails going, what was the name of that movie you talked about? Oh, part of me thinks, well, God, I'm really glad they listened to the show. The other part of me thinks, God, what is wrong with these people? I have really intelligent, ridiculously good-looking listeners, and I want to keep it that way. Okay? Thank you. All right. Well, let's give you a little freebie here of what's, what's coming up. I love Neil Young. I support President Trump. But I'm torn. Neil Young, the legendary musician, is alleged that President Trump lacked license to play Rockin' in the Free World and Devil's Sidewalk at a campaign rally in Tulsa. Not so fast rockin' in the free world, POTUS, because on Tuesday, as reported in Variety, the legendary musician filed a copyright infringement lawsuit against Trump's campaign for playing his songs at campaign rallies. Quote, This complaint is not intended to disrespect the rights and opinions of American citizens who are free to support the candidate of their choosing, states the complaint filed in New York Federal Court. However, plaintiff, that's Neil, in good conscience cannot allow his music to be used as a theme song for a divisive, un-American campaign. Well, he might think it's divisive. That's his right. He's Canadian, so what would he know about un-American? And it's certainly not about hate. We know where that comes from. But if Neil doesn't want his music used, I support Neil. That's fine. But the presidential campaign did check all the licensing and they'd obtained public performance licenses from ASCAP and BMI, so they went through all the legal channels, ticked all the boxes, and so suddenly the musician wants to change the playing field, wants to move the bar. And this is something the left always wants to do, is move the bar. But in this case, I do kind of support the musician who doesn't want his music associated with something. So it's been a trying time for me the past 17 minutes reading this. And I even was playing some Neil Young on the Gretsch White Falcon last night. It was blistering, let me tell you. A little bit of Zuma, a little bit of Zuma and Stupid Girl and Cortez the Killer, three of my favorite Neil Young songs. And, uh, I think this is kind of a uh, fait accompli because by the time this gets to court, which will be 104 years from now, the uh, presidential campaign will be finished. So this is probably just for things in the future. What do you think about that? You think about that. You can let me know. Let me know. Now, these days, what really happened on these days in history? Well, speaking of politics and witch hunts, like the Mueller trial. The first Mueller trial actually went, goes back to 1428. On this day in 1428, the Valet witch trial proceedings began in Valet Canton, Switzerland. In 1606, I hope you're listening, you literati out there, the possible, it says possible, first performance of Shakespeare's tragedy Macbeth 
was performed in the Great Hall at the Hampton Court Palace for King James I. Now, Shakespeare never wrote a screenplay. I really question a lot of his stuff. But I love Macbeth. But I think there's been way too many reboots of Macbeth. It's really bothering me. Fourteen years later, in 1620, astronomer Johannes Kepler's mother was arrested for witchcraft. Mom, fuck, what's up? Now, Johannes Kepler was a key figure in the 17th century scientific revolution. I'm a big fan of Johannes. He discovered how planets rotated the sun with elliptical orbits, and he formulated, those of you that took physics may remember this, he formulated three laws, Kepler's laws, and he published them in works such as his Astronomia Nova in 1609, Harmonices Mundi in 1619, and that huge, huge bestseller that even J.R.R.R.R. Tolkien would have been jealous of, The Epitome of Copernican Astronomy in 1617 to 1621. Kepler was working during a time when astronomy was still closely aligned with astrology, with Kepler himself providing the bridge between this world and one where astronomy came to be more associated with physics. Carl Sagan, the late Carl Sagan, called him, quote, the first astrophysicist and the last scientific astrologer. I think Mystic Medusa would argue with the latter part of that, but uh, we'll wait and see. Well, let's travel to the 19th century. In 1802, Napoleon ordered, oh my God, oh my God, Napoleon ordered reinstatement of slavery on Saint-Domingue in Haiti? No way. Napoleon, racist, racist. Napoleon ordered, oh, shouldn't there be a, shouldn't there have been a Black Lives Matter protest on Saint-Domingue? I'm sure Haiti could have put that together take down some statues of Napoleon? We got to look into this. We have got to get statues of Napoleon down everywhere around the world. Oh my God. Oh my God. Racists. They just, they just come out of the woodwork here. 1929, back in the depression times, New York Yankee slugger Babe Ruth, not the inventor of the Baby Ruth candy bar, sorry, New York Yankees slugger Babe Ruth ties Major League Baseball record. Remember Major League Baseball? Remember when they had crowds? When they didn't take a knee during the national anthem? Tied Major League Baseball records by hitting grand slams in consecutive games for the second time in a 13-1 win versus the Philadelphia A's. What's more important is Philadelphia fans coined the term the fucking A's after that, after that secondary loss. Now, in 1934, the U.S. Court of Appeals upheld lower court rulings striking down government's attempt to ban controversial James Joyce novel Ulysses. Book ban, book ban, book ban. Ha, ha, ha. Didn't go through. In 1954, on this day, Englishman, hello, Roger Bannister, beat Australia's John Landy in the mile at the Empire Games in Vancouver. The first time two men ran a mile in less than four minutes in the same race. Only months earlier, on the 6th of May, 
was the first sub-four-minute mile when Bannister ran it and broke history, what was considered the Mount Everest of the sporting world. In fact, most doctors felt that it was not only dangerous but impossible for a human to run the mile in under one minute or four minutes. But what's more amazing to me than Bannister breaking that record that had never been broken in history is that in the next 36 months, 15 runners did it because they knew it was possible. It's all about belief and faith. People used to say, oh, I'll believe it when I see it. No, it's really the other way around. You'll see it when you believe it. Now, Bannister was one of the features of the dramatic documentary film, which I executive produced a few years ago, called Champion, A Life Unexpected, which has been in similarly never-ending post-production, directed by Sally McLean, And it's the story of Coach Franz Stompfel, which is one of the most amazing stories ever. Franz Stompfel, S-T-A-M-P-F-L. Uh, make sure you Google Champion, A Life Unexpected, to see the trailer from the film. Um, and Sally has shared that she hopes to have it all finished up. Woo flu, depending late this year. Worth the effort. Amazing director, amazing talent, Sally McLean. Now we go into the 1960s. In 1966, on this day, there was a race riot in Lansing, Michigan. Whoa. Who knew? Lansing, Michigan. Well, at least they're keeping up their, uh, their image here in 2020. And in 2007, San Francisco Giants, I hate the Giants, but I have to acknowledge history. San Francisco Giants slugger Barry Bonds hit his 756th career home run to break Hank Aaron's long-standing Major League Baseball record. An amazing achievement. And I hate the Giants, but play the man, not the ball. So there you go. There you go. That's, um, that's all that I found worthy, worthy. of this date in history. Now, a couple of big announcements in the entertainment world. You know how I hype the hell out of Money Heist way early in this podcast. I think it was back episode, you know, one, two, three, or four. I can't even remember. I was a bit of a latecomer to it with my wife, and we got obsessed with it. Well, lo and behold, as reported in the Hollywood Reporter and Variety yesterday, Money Heist season five. They're coming up with another season. People are loving it so much, they just can't let these guys go. And they did leave us with a bit of a cliffhanger, a real Dallas who shot JR kind of moment. So season five is happening. And if you haven't watched Money Heist, get onto it. But especially when you're done, watch the documentary on what happened. Because as I shared earlier, it was a uh, Spanish television thing, which kind of went nowhere and then was sold to Netflix and then went crazy around the world. Speaking of more seasons, The Crown adding one more season. I hope they get it up to the present. I really want to, you know, see all the goodies and things like that. And uh, I'm wondering who's going to play. If they bring The Crown up to the present, really they can film it just like a season behind what's happening. And uh, I want to know who's going to be cast as Jeffrey Epstein or Ghislaine Maxwell. That'll be awesome. Now, other announcements. 
Disney's biggest, 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 biggest film of the past couple of years, Mulan, which has been delayed and delayed and delayed because of cinemas open, cinemas closed, cinemas open, cinemas closed, woo flew, woo flew. Well, they've decided, no, nope, no cinemas. It's going straight to Apple Plus for the streamer. And do you know why? Because they now already have 60 million signups on Apple Plus. So they figure this will draw another 10 to 15%, and they'll be climbing up to 100 million streaming clients by the end of the year. I think it's a good move because who knows when cinemas are really going to happen. And this way it doesn't damage the magic, the Disney magic of uh, the premiere. Other entertainment news? Did you love Succession? You had the love Succession. Did you love... Adam McKay's The Big Short, you had to. Do you love Amy Adams? Who doesn't love Amy Adams? Amy Adams is like, you know, Sara Lee. Who doesn't like Sara Lee? Well, they're teaming up for this amazing Walmart epic, which covers three women that are entwined in the horrifying treatment that um, Walmart is known for with some of its customers and workers over the year. Can't tell you any more about that uh, until next week, but um, it covers one of the Walmart executives, one of the uh, Walmart customers, and a Walmart employee who are inexorably connected at the hip, so to speak, in the Walmart organization. And if you haven't seen the documentary, Walmart, the high cost of low price. That's a very powerful documentary to see. You almost would never shop at Walmart again after that. But it's like, you know, an alcoholic saying, I'll never have another drink after that. Yeah, I have a few drinks. Walmart's addictive because they're so cheap. Now, here's my favorite announcement. Get ready. One of my favorite actresses on the planet is Sarah Paulson. She is so amazing. She can play anything. And she played the DA in The People versus O.J. Simpson. Astonishing. And one of my favorite executive producers is Ryan Murphy. The Assassination of Gianni Versace, The People versus O.J. Simpson, American Horror Story, um, and a couple of bad train wrecks and shipwrecks. But that's, that's what happens when you're a genius. You have great stuff and you have a few misses. Well, since there won't be a season of American Horror Story on FX this fall, there's another Ryan Murphy series, Netflix's Ratchet, that may fill that void as reported in Variety this morning. And the trailer for the series, starring frequent Murphy muse Sarah Paulson, is filled with all that creepy, lurid imagery that's an American Horror Story signature. Does Ratchet ring a bell? Nurse Ratchet? She was the nurse in the origin story. Mildred Ratchet the villain of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Now, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, as you might recall, was the 1975 film directed by the late Milos Forman, which is considered one of the 100 greatest American films of all time. Interesting, because Milos Forman was a European. And that is from the 1962 novel by the amazing counterculture postmodernist novelist Ken Kesey. Now, Ken Kesey actually hated the film. He wouldn't see it in its entirety um, and actually parted ways during the production after starting the original screenplay 
um, with Michael Douglas back in 1975 and never spoke of it again, even until his death. He always considered himself the link between the beat generation of the 1950s and the hippies of the 1960s. And of course, I grew up during that era. But back to the present here. Mildred Ratched, who will be played by Sarah Paulson, is the villain. And it's set in 1947, and Ratched follows Mildred as she seeks work at a psychiatric hospital in Northern California where, quote, unquote, new and unsettling experiments have begun on the human mind. And on a clandestine mission, she presents herself as the perfect image of what a dedicated nurse should be. But the wheels are always turning, and she begins to infiltrate the mental health care system and those within it. Her stylish exterior belies a growing darkness. It's the old story. You save one life, you're a hero. You save thousands, and you're a nurse. Cynthia Nixon, Judy Davis, Sharon Stone, John John Briones, Finn Wittrock, Charlie Carver, Alice Engelbert, Amanda Plummer, Corey Stoll, who was my absolute favorite in the, in the first season of House of Cards, Sophie Alcanedo and Vincent D'Onofrio, who, timeless actor, will also stars. And that starts September 18th. Cannot wait. Interesting that Michael Douglas, who also produced the 1975 film, Robert Mitras and Tim Minear, also executive produce. Watch the trailer. The link is on my site. I have a feeling it just won't freak you out. It will fuck you up for life. It actually looks a little bit reminiscent of The Cure for Wellness. The Gore Verbinski, I almost said Garth Drabinsky, the Canadian um, entrepreneur, the Gore Verbinski film uh, that came out a couple years ago, which is really freaked out. It's too long. It's got some problems, but it's well worth a watch. If you're in lockdown for the rest of your life, then you better give it a go. Oh, and by the way, I do have to recant little something. Unlike Daniel Andrews, I do apologize. One mistake. When stage five comes, if stage five comes and you're locked on and can only watch Australian TV, um, you're not allowed to watch Australian reality TV because that's the only good Australian television. You have to watch all the sitcoms and faux dramas and, and everything else. So you're not allowed to watch cool stuff like Bachelor in Paradise, uh, MasterChef, which we just finished, and The Farmer Wants a Wife. Now, I'm not a devotee of Bachelor in Paradise, but I took a break here and had a coffee and sat down and uh, watched a bit with my wife, and they had the human lie detector on. This is a guy the producers brought in, an FBI lie detector guy, kind of like the Tim Roth character in his um, series some years ago, and he interviewed the couples and checked them out and found out through their body language if they were lying or not, and really put them on the spot. Um, fantastic viewing. Uh, although I haven't really watched the show at all, except for that, but uh, that was enough. Now, Farmer Watch a Wife? Farmer Wants a Wife? Farmer Watches a Wife. I don't know, that's the, that's the sequel, The Stalker. Farmer Watches a Wife, not his own. Farmer Wants a Wife. This is a great show. As you know, I'm a hopeless romantic and want everyone to be happy and have a wonderful relationship. Unless you're the Prime Minister of China, of course. But what's amazing here is, unlike Channel 9's 
Married at First Sight, which is an absolute abortion of a TV show. Unlike the U.S. one, where they really have real experts and they try and match people up and have a wonderful relationship, the Channel 9 experts, quote-unquote, as in Dr. Mengele was an expert in you know twinning and genetics at Auschwitz, uh, put the worst possible matches together just for drama. Now, it is great drama. It's train wreck TV watching, but it's shocking, and it's not in the best interest of the couples. It's horrible. But Farmer Wants a Wife gets some real authentic farmers, and we have a big rural community here in Australia, and uh, they're the people who give us our food, bring us our food to the table, and they're out there in the middle of nowhere and sitting alone, drinking a few BVs, no women around, and kind of eyeing off the sheep or the cattle. I think, oh, better get these guys a wife, but quick. And uh, yeah, I don't want any lamb chops that have had a previous hookup with the farmer. We're not going to go any, anywhere past that. Um, but anyway, they audition a bunch of girls and now these girls ostensibly know that they're going to have to live out on the farm. And there's a couple of them that are a little bit too flash, a little bit too manicured. But they've got this, you know, rural dream and living with a guy and out on a nice farm and stuff like that. Well, I grew up in Iowa and I know a little bit about farming. It's hot. It's cold. It's got bugs. It's got floods. It's got fucking wolves and coyotes and dingoes and... And of course, rapist serial killers that always, you know, you know, look for hitchhikers around farms in the outback and stuff like that. But this show's wonderful, beautifully photographed, great, great situations. And right now, the farmers are having the call down from four down to three girls, and then ultimately get down to two girls, and then hopefully pick the one that's going to be his wife, maybe. And it's been the most successful show. Of all the reality shows that pair up couples as far as weddings and subsequent children. So we have hope. There's some big decisions coming tonight for Farmer Alex and Farmer Sam. And also, can't remember his name, the farmer in Tasmania is going nuts because he likes this one chick. But every other question for her is, do you want to have kids? 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 Well, you know what? She bothers me. I think he's got to get rid of her tonight. But it's actually going to be Sunday, I just realized. So maybe he'll decide to have kids by Sunday or give her the flick. We'll see. Giving you a bit of a heads up here. Not that I don't like kids, but, you know, if you keep asking someone the same question, it's like, are you going to take out the garbage? Are you going to take out the garbage? Do you want to have kids? Do you want to have kids? It's like, you know, hey, girl, you asked the question. I gave you the answer. Let's see how we go at the end of the show. Um, you keep harping on him. It's going to be the death knell. I'm trying to help her. Trying help me help her. But now some of you are thinking, oh my God, you know, he was talking about Ken Kesey and, you know, oh, you know, counterculture postmodernism and abstract expressionism. Abstract expressionism? Does that mean Richard Payne? I don't know. I'm just giving you a preview. Next week, we have our second guest in the series. We've had our one guest before, novelist Kim Ko and screenwriter and uh, actress and entrepreneur Bon Vivant Extraordinaire. And next week, we have international 
amazeballs artist, painter. And I'm not talking about painter like, you know, the people that, you know, just painted our apartment a few weeks ago. Painter like, you know, Jackson Pollock, Blue Poles level awesomeness. And uh, Richard Payne, who lives up in the wilds of Dalesford. And he is a guest on our show, and you'll see some of his work. Amazing interview. So do not miss that. Do not miss that next week. A couple of shout-outs also just uh, at this time, because we do like to do our little shout-outs each week of people that are fantastic, go the extra mile for something somewhere. Um, the good folks in Sydney, the Fardulis family, the Fardulis chocolates. My wife ordered some Fardulis chocolates through David Jones, and I'm always in search of amazing chocolate. You know, I'm an actual sugar addict and a chocolate expert. And humble in its beginnings, the Fardulis chocolates began in 1985 with what started as an idea to create a unique after-dinner mint for restaurants and cafes with a two-tone milk dark chocolate curvature swirl. The company quickly grew in developing the aftermarket chocolate market with more varieties and flavors. Now, they went from a small family biz to producing over 400,000 units a week for the food service industry. And that's Anna Constantinos and the rest of the Fardulis family. Shout out to you guys. Beautiful chocolates. And uh, I love family businesses. Up the road, our MP in the area, James Newbury. I've shouted him out before. He goes the extra mile for Bayside here. And he got personally involved, took ownership of the Middle Brighton Pier, which closed, I think I told you about five, six episodes ago. And of course, Daniel Andrews, duh. God, you know, and we got no money to fix it. Oh, one, only the one of the most important, iconic pieces of architecture in the state. What a nong. However, James Newbery got on it. Massive campaign, billboards, calls, letters, everything like that. And finally got the premiere to say, all right, we're going to fix it, put the money in, hold it, hold him to it. And uh, James Newbery made it happen. This guy is a politician that works for the people. I love this guy. Shut out there. Meanwhile, back to food. When we got news of this lockdown, my wife and I scanned the kitchen. What is in danger? And we saw that we only had a half a bottle of Badia e Colte Bueno extra virgin Italian olive oil, which is a staple of our cooking and especially our secret, sacred pasta. And so we had to call the essential ingredient online. Oh my God, no, no stock, no stock in any size, liter, half liter, 250 mils, nothing. So email the Paran store and the amazing Anna from Essential Ingredient scored us a couple of bottles and we were able to zap up there before the five kilometer limit of going out of the zone for lockdown. It's actually 6.2 kilometers and we made it just under the wire and we got our bottles. Thank you, Anna. And um, speaking of food and beverage, the good folks at Toscano's, which is a groovy fruit and veg company. We go up there pretty regularly in Armadale. It's actually Hawksburn. Um, they're a gorgeous, gorgeous store. And we had a little bit of an issue with something. And they bent over backwards immediately to sort it out. And when I say a little bit of an issue with something, it, it wasn't a, uh, you know, Karen 
issue wanting to see the manager. It's Karen for the management. It was just um, something didn't quite um, work properly um, in the floral department, and they sorted out. They they have amazing displays and amazing uh, cheeses and gourmet items, stuff like that. Do check them for us because um, I guess we are semi-regulars up there, and we do make the trip and. Shout out to Toscanos. I think they're also in Q and somewhere else, but you, you got to check these guys out. And last but not least, when you've got a crack in your sink or basin, the basin, as they say here, and you're thinking, oh my God, it's out of warranty, call the Villaroy and Bosch people, just like the Villaroy and Bosch beautiful crockery that my wife and I gifted each other for our anniversary early, which I discussed last week. We have a Villaroy and Bosch bethin. And James Killick at Argent Australia up in the beautiful sunshine state of Queensland, which is the distributor, came to the party with warranty so that we can replace it. These are just things that can turn into an absolute nightmare, little household things, and I'm not handy, and I fucking hate fixing stuff or repairing it. And, you know, I hate Ikea and anything you have to, to put put together. So I don't watch that Lego TV show. Why would you watch that? Why would you put stuff together? Um, that's what expert traders are for so that they can do things like that and have a career. But James Killick, thank you so much, Argent Australia. And it's not a thank you, but an acknowledgement to Steve Fagenbaum down in Tampa. I'm going to Tampa with you, Florida, longtime friend uh, who introduced me to pinball and, you know, every bad habit in high school that, um, well, only bad habits you could have at the Jewish Community Center, which is like milk with meat. You know, oh, let's have a corned beef sandwich and a carton of milk and not tell Harold. Steve had issue with my article on George Mallory last week because Steve's birthday and Sir Edmund Hillary's are the same. Explorers, heroes, and they're all in their own right. Not all heroes wear capes. So... Even though Mallory probably made it to the top first, we will still give homage to Everest. Steve, you are the Sir Edmund Hillary of Florida. And that's pretty easy because there is no hill anywhere in Florida. So traversing from the swamps and Everglades of Florida to the swamp of Washington, D.C. It's a quick segue into some politics there. I'm not going to, you know, it's 90 days out from the U.S. election. One of the most, if not the most important election in in our lifetime. And uh, I'm not going to tell you how to vote. You, you vote however you want to vote. You know how I, I'm going to vote. But I just want to share something with you. If you are going to vote for the presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden. There's two things you need to know. And all you need to know is to look at all the videos that are up there. Don't take my word for it. One, he wants to get rid of all the suburbs and incorporate them into cities so that they become all Democratic voting logs and, you know, put in thousands and thousands and thousands of low-cost housing out in nice suburbs right next to you where you move to get away from those. Um, now, is that illegal? Probably. Is it cunning and genius so that they can change the electoral system? Yeah, it is cunning and genius, and the Democrats are cunning and genius. So if you like your life and uh, you don't like living next to uh, a project, 
Um, well, that's what you're going to get. And on top of that, you're going to get high taxes. You're going to get lots of taxes. And Biden said he's going to raise taxes. So don't take my word for it. Take his. And as far as his vice president, which um, he's trying to remember who he selected. He, hopefully he'll remember this next week so he can announce it. He said it's going to be a woman of color. Now, is that racist? And is that gender and illegal, picking someone just because of gender and race? Of course, but not, not when the left does it. So is it, is it the candidate you want? Is it the candidate we need? I don't know. But that's the candidate that he's going for, who will be the presumptive president when Biden can't serve out the four years if he does get elected. Um, it's, it's amazing that he'll even find wa the, the White House in Washington, D.C. Just be careful what you wish for. And these are articles also uh, from the Federalist. This isn't MAGA Illustrated, MAGA Monthly and stuff like that. This is real news. This is the same um, news that is not the New York Times, which um, is possibly the most hacked journalism in the world, which says, oh, we shouldn't have any debates. Let's get rid of presidential debates. Why? Because they know that Biden in a debate um, would be like sending Stevie Wonder out on SpaceX. So um, think about that one. And lastly, while we close off U.S. politics, everyone against the president because, oh, mail voting. Oh, mail voting is fine. Postal voting is fine. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? Well, let me just ask you a quick question. What could go wrong? If you won a $100 million Powerball ticket, would you A, just post it in and figure, oh, fuck, it'll be fine? Or B, would you go to the office in person to collect your $100 million? Just think about that. Now, swooping across the ditch to UK politics, Boris Johnson is putting the brakes on restrictions being unleashed because he's worried about a second wave that's coming on the Wu flu, which is coming its way from Europe. He's already banned Spanish visitors from coming in without quarantine, which I mean, I guess the crew from Money Heist can't come there for a party. But their half-price meal deals, dine out to help out, is not only absolutely giving a boost to the decimated restaurant industry, but it's also giving people a lot of fun and getting out and saving some money and being social and human, which is as important as living, unless you're at the St. Basil's nursing home here in Australia, where uh, living is not uh, really a thing. It's the Hotel California of Australia. You can check out, but you can never leave. Uh, don't bother ever sending a letter there because it's going to come back address the unknown. Now, we move back, and we're in Australia again. We are in Australia again because it's just about that time. I can feel it. I can sense it around the corner. So you finally arrived. What the hell are you wearing? It's my ass kicking outfit, bitch. And this is an ass kicking outfit. It is an official just arrived in the post yesterday. Washington Redskins. That's right. Washington Redskins official team t-shirt. One of the last ones available before they changed the name to the Washington football team. No, I will not back down. I've liked the Redskins for many, many years. The Oakland Raiders, now the Las Vegas Raiders, have been my number one team 
in the AFL, and the Los Angeles Rams were my number one team in the NFL growing up until they moved to St. Louis and moved around, and God knows where they are tomorrow. They could be in, you know, they could be in, uh, you know, Dayton, Ohio, next Thursday. But I've also always liked the Washington Redskins, and in fact, um, met uh, former superstar Neil Olkowitz in the '70s, and we had a friendship, uh, amazing guy. So. As all the team mascots are being taken away because they're racist, they're racist. I thought I'd celebrate with uh, a Washington Redskins shirt on today with a nice pair of uh, black Yoshi Yamamoto jeans and um, my black Valentino camo sneakers just to really get in a fighting mood. Absolute fighting mood. Might even have some coon cheese. We got our last delivery of coon cheese the other day from Coles Online. That is gone now, too. I don't know whether to eat it or keep it as a souvenir and put it in a time capsule. Tough decision. Well, you know what that means. Well, actually, you don't. I only used that music once before, and that was to announce the Listener Award. This time, it's just to cue up a preview of the Emmys. Now, I love award shows, although it's a love-hate thing because most Hollywood left-wing liberal psychopaths have have really put a damper on the uh, entertainment industry for me, but we have to keep saying it. We play the man or woman, not the ball. So let's love their work and uh, leave the rest of it behind. And I'm very excited for the Emmys coming up only because, and this is a micro-Emmy preview, Succession has so many nominations. And it is so deserved. If you're not watching Succession, you are missing one of the best-written shows in history. It's it's just astonishing. It, it is really astonishing. I just resonate with it so much. I hope they have a thousand seasons. And um, it's going to be a bit of a disappointment, though, because we've got uh, people running against each other and the best drama supporting actor. You've got Kieran Culkin, Matthew McFadden, who I talked about uh, last week, who was recently in Quiz, and uh, a couple of great British shows. Him being British, which I was completely unaware of in the past. And Nicholas Braun, um, who is just astonishing, running against each other. And, you know, there can only be one winner. If it was me, I think I'd have to go with either Matthew McFadden or Nicholas Braun. As much as I love Kieran Culkin, I, um, his character is a bit hard to like. And in the supporting actress, you've got Sarah Snook, who I never was really a fan of, but really am, am now absolutely entranced with the the work she does there. So astonishing. Best actor, tough call, Brian Cox, the father. But it's time. And an almost ignominious, ironic, non-sequitur, freaked out rationale to give it to the sun. The show is about succession. Well, give it to the sun. Give it to Jeremy Strong. Jeremy Strong is inequivocally, unarguably, just playing one of the most difficult roles that anyone would have seen. The, the pain 
that this guy has to go through um, is, is unbelievable. If you've been in a family business, I was in a family business for quite a few years. Not like this. We didn't have helicopters. But uh, there's always a lot of pain in a family business. Why? Because of the family. But this, the, the pain he goes through to come out the other side with the, dealing with his dad and his brothers and cousins and oh, amazing. Good luck, Jeremy Strong, who I really loved in The Gentleman, which was a wonderful film from Guy Ritchie a couple of months ago, which kind of whoosh, came and went just before lockdown. Uh, also, I'm not a Tony Collette fan, as uh, people might know from from the past, but I have become a Tony Collette fan after her uh, tremendous turn, tremendous turn in Unbelievable. She was Unbelievable in Unbelievable, which was a limited series supporting actress. I think Kate Blanchett is a bit of a uh, shoe-in for Mrs. America. Uh, and I haven't seen the other the other shows. I haven't watched Watchmen, Self-Made, Little Fires Everywhere, or Unorthodox, but I will. So we're going to have a bit more comprehensive Emmy slugfest next week. And the Emmys are coming up. They will be on the 20th of September. And it's interesting, the Emmys used to be the really kind of poor sister of, a, of award shows, international award shows. You can't call local award shows here in Australia like the Logies. The, the Logies is like, you know, the Special Olympics of award shows. But uh, now that all the great writers have gone to TV, now that everything's on the streamers, the, uh, the Emmys really almost have as much power, if not more, as far as skill and talent than the Academy Awards, which have become so politicized. But uh, time marches on, and we will see. Now, what did I drink last night? Your podcaster had a beautiful bottle of 2018 10 Minutes by Tractor Chardonnay. Oh, my God, Chardonnay, Chardonnay. Whoop, whoop, danger, danger. Two weeks in a row. Last week I had a Petaluma Chardonnay. Petaluma. Last week I had another speech therapy. Petaluma, Petaluma, Petaluma Chardonnay. This week, 10 Minutes by Tractor. 10 Minutes by Tractor is a local. It's in Main Ridge, Victoria. And Martin Spedding is the owner of the vineyard. Never met him. Well, I don't know if he's related to Chris Spedding, one of my favorite... English guitarist? If so, I guess I will have to meet him. But the winery started in 1997 with three family-owned vineyards in Main Ridge, all 10 minutes by tractor apart. So that is how that clever name came. And they got a great label too, great wines. And although I didn't have the Pinot, Sean Mitchell, an Australian wine writer, quote-unquote, has gone out on a limb and said that it's the best Mornington Peninsula Pinot Noir he's ever tasted. And uh, I may have to try that next week. So good shout out to them. And beautiful website too. We'll have to try them for lunch after the lockdown. We're very, very lucky here that we can be an hour away from beautiful vineyards with great food and reasonable prices. And it's, it's good. just a great day trip. Really blessed part of the world to live in. Once we can leave the house and go past five kilometers. 
or maybe move down there, move to a winery. So it's got a few wineries within five kilometers. Hmm, may have to think of that one. So on that note, I think we're um, going to kind of wind it up for this week in an economical show. Next week, we've got Richard Payne, uh, our guest, which uh, that interview, as I flagged before, you just absolutely don't want to miss. If you're into art, if you're a creator, whether you're uh, just, you know, maybe picking up a sketch pad and some paints to, to start, whether you're 10 years old or 70 years old, he's got some tips. And if you're an accomplished artist, then you, you know this guy and his uh, look on life and the spiritual approach to art is riveting. You, you won't want to miss it. And uh, we'll have all your favorites. Um, uh, sad note, just saw the news from um, Beirut this week. And uh, no matter how hard people think we, they have it, there's always someone doing it a lot tougher. A lot tougher. Yeah, let's store a nuclear bomb right in a residential neighborhood. That's pretty much what that came up to. And uh, last minute, shout out to uh, our postmen who are running off their feet delivering things for everybody that's ordering things. We've got uh, the regular post guy, Cam, and then the package guy, Sam, that just go out of their way and, you know, never leave notes. They actually get it in the box or ring the bell and, you know, help us out because we're old and feeble and contactless. And uh, these guys are amazing. Uh, the Postal Service here in Australia actually is one of a kind. It's old school. And I was going to uh, share a little bit different sign off this week. I know I used to, every one of the 19 previous shows has, it's nice to be important, but it's uh, more important to be nice. Well, I still think that's important, but right now we are coming into a lot of battles between good and evil. I uh, don't need to go back and report a lot of things that have been in the news or should be in the news, but it's not so much a battle of ideas anymore. It's good versus evil. And uh, I think the gloves have to come off. You can't just be nice to someone that wants to destroy you. And uh, there's no need to be scared. There's no need to have fear. Fear knocked at the door and faith answered. No one was there. Have faith doesn't matter what religion you are, or even if you don't have one. Faith conquers fear. Have a fantastic week. See you next week. Adios. Arrivederci. Hasta luego. Aloha. Shalom. See you.